Hello to all the rugby league diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Canfell and it's great to have your company. We will cover six topics with our guests today related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Anthony Griffin. Hook is the current coach of the St George Illawarra Dragons. He's one of the best talent identification minds in the game, which we will get into a little bit later. Hook is also one of very few people who hasn't played first grade to be not only a first grade head coach, but to me, one of the most underrated. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Anthony Griffin. I'm joined by Anthony Griffin as the next guest of the Six to Go podcast. Hey, Hook, how are you, mate? Yeah, guys, it's Tom. It's so great to have you on, mate. I've got six topics to cover with you today, and I'll kick off with the state of the Dragons. I'll tell you what, Hook, you've taken this roster and put it in a bit of a blender since you've gotten there. From my perspective, you've you must have had a pretty clear idea going into this job of who you wanted going forward and. Uh, who you're happy to move on from, whether it's purely a salary cap or ability perspective, it doesn't really matter. Is that fair that you knew who the core of this team was going to be? Uh, Yes and no. The first thing was to give everyone that was already on the list an opportunity to, um, you know, to stay on the list and impress. Uh, There's always turnover, no matter, you know, how good your season is. So... um, and just during the course of the year, obviously, uh, we've got an idea of who was there. The other um, important thing, we, we, we always had a, uh, a purpose to build from within, so to, you know, to bring to as many uh, juniors as we could and give them uh, the experience that they needed to start their NRL careers. So, um, you know, both those things happened last year. We turned over 14 uh, spots on the 30-man roster, so it did end up a fairly big turnover, but obviously a couple other things, like the, you know, the COVID barbecue contributed to that as well. But in general, um, you know, I think we've ended up in a, in a pretty strong spot. Um, we, we, we've unearthed, you know, three or four really good young juniors, and strategically, we, you know, we've brought a, a lot of forward strength into the club. You bring in Moses Suley. Does that put Jack Bird to lock? Yeah, Birdie will probably move into the forwards. Uh, last year, you know, he come off three years and not playing football, basically. I think he played 12 games in three years and uh, the whole of two, uh, 20, he, he was on the sidelines. He, he had a second ACL uh, in the trials for Brisbane. So we had to uh, treat him with kid gloves. He still finished his, um, his recovery uh, in the off-season. Didn't do a great deal of physical work last off-season, so he was able to, to uh, I suppose, nurse his way through the start of the year in the centres. Uh, uh, but I think, you know, when, uh, going forward now, he's got that year under his belt, we want to get him a little bit closer to the ball, so he'll probably play lock-back row. I love Jack Bird. He'd been my top ten favourite players in the league, without a doubt. Were you surprised at how well he came back last year? Because he basically did have two years out, like you said. Yeah, I was really happy for him. Um, and we got a fantastic uh, performance staff at the club. Um, Dan Lawson, Tony Gilfoyle on their team. And um, they, they managed him uh, exceptionally well during the, during the off-season with his loads and his rehab. And he was in really good shape once we got to the trials. And he, he didn't play a lot of trial time, but he got a bit of confidence out of the trials. So by that stage, I thought, you know, we, you know, we were all going to run get some decent footy out of him. So, 
half of the year was was pretty good. The back half of the year, not doing an off-season, caught up with him and, and his form, you know, uh, probably wavered a bit. But now that he's had that, that full season under his belt and a full off-season now, um, I think we're going to see, you know, another level in his performance this year. Hook, last year the real turning point in the season for your club was the barbecue scandal and the breaking of the COVID rules. Now, at the time, you didn't have your best player available either in Ben Hunt because of injury. From that point on, with the suspensions and such, it crippled your team going forward for the rest of the year. I know it's tough to find any positives out of that situation, but do you think that that moment was very much a line in the sand uh, moment for your club, considering a lot of those guys aren't there anymore? Yes and no. It, it, you know, it is what it is. Some people say it's, uh, it ruined your season, and maybe it did, but um, it certainly wasn't what we wanted to happen in the short term. We, I think we were running seventh at the time, and we just had a couple of back-to-back wins. It was round 16, so you're getting ready for, you know, for a run to the playoffs. And you know, losing Ben Hunt, as you mentioned, was um, you know a massive blow, but. In the end, it is what it is, and um, it was disappointing and frustrating. But uh, it's given us, uh, uh, I suppose, another level of um, resilience and standards within the club now. And but also, it gave us an opportunity to to bring in some of those younger players that I spoke about, like Sloan and Amone and Sullivan, and give them some extra responsibility. And, um, they probably wouldn't have got those those games at the back end of the year if everyone was available. So. Um, certainly at the time it was frustrating and didn't want it to happen and it, you know, it probably you know, stopped our season last year but in a lot of ways it's, it's uh, put some longevity on our, on our development and our potential now as a team so um, yeah, we'll use it as a positive rather than a negative now. Out of that, it was decided that you guys would move on from Paul Vaughan and with his money and the salary cap, you've been able to go get Jaden Sewer and George Burgess. Can you talk to me about those two? First of all, what, what do you like about Jaden Sewer? Jaden's someone I've always had a lot of respect and time for. I, I haven't had much to do with him. He was a 16-year-old when I left Brisbane, but he was in our academies and I knew of him. And he stood out then and obviously as a coach coaching against him, I followed his career. You know, Broncos through to South Sydney. He's a tough player. He's, he's, he's very good with the ball. He's very skillful. He's already played a few Origin games. He's relatively young. I think he's 25. Uh, so he, when he came on the market, we were we were very interested, and thankfully, um, yeah, we picked him up. So um, he's, he's only got his best football in front of him, which is which is what I like about him. And, He's a really good kid, great club man, great trainer, and um, we, you know, we're glad to have him in our club. You also have Aaron Woods as well, and uh, how's he fitting into the group, and how did that all come along? Because j- just as a fan, because uh, from my perspective, he seems like he'd be a great fit for your club. He is, Tom. He's, uh, we actually tried to pick him up at the back end of last year when we, when we uh, lost Paul. Um, but he wanted to stay with Cronulla for, you know, to finish the year out there. He was captain at the time, so uh, we were able to secure a, a, a deal once the season finished. But he brings a lot of experience. Woodsy's only 30, um, which, you know, in front row is, uh, if they're 
they're good people and they still work really hard. He's, he's still got you know a few miles left in him, and, and that's exactly what I found when I met him and when we, you know, when we brought him to the club. He's, he's been outstanding during the off season with his uh, work ethic, and also he's a great teammate and a good person. So sometimes those guys when um, they get to that age, as long as they still want to work hard, they've still got you know some of their best footy in front of them. And, uh, he's played, I think, 18 tests and 20 odd origins, so they don't lose that ability or that class. So we're looking forward to um, you know, a big year. He adds a lot of depth to our forward pack. Hook, you're one of only a few head coaches who didn't play first grade, which is funny because as a general statement, I think Australian sport is about 20 years behind the rest of the world. Over in America, for example, a lot of head coaches weren't professional players and a lot of obviously, but the ratio certainly isn't what as lopsided as what it is here. Do you think it's easier or harder now than when you first became a head coach for someone who didn't play first grade to work their way up to being a head coach in the NRL? Oh, I think it'll be easier now. Just speaking from my experience, um, you know, at the time that was, even just getting through the Queensland Cup level, that was always a stumbling block. You had no profile from your playing days. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and, and that, that was fine. I mean, I've always wanted to coach since I was, you know, mid to late 20s. And, you know, I never played at a professional level. And, and so that was hard for me to get from country football into Brisbane football back in those days. I'm talking the early to mid 90s. So, but, I, you know, I was. I suppose, uh, you know, headstrong and, and, and had a, a, a goal and a vision of where I wanted to get from, uh, I wanted to get to, so uh, thankfully I got there. Um, as far as, uh, you know, these days, I, I think it would be a bit easier. I think the world's, uh, particularly when it comes to coaching in all sports, um, you know, a lot more accepting of, uh, you know, the leadership quality and I suppose the, you know, the, the, the tactical um, side of the game and, and being able to bring a staff together at the professional level these days, you've got 23, 25 staff in the NRL. Um, so there's a lot more that goes into it rather than just your knowledge of football. So I think these days, um, if someone's talented and they've got some leadership capabilities and some, you know, some managerial skills, you, you can hire assistants these days. Um, you know, to, to deliver, um, you know, the extra football yeah, now and things like that. So, um, but I, I mean, from my point of view, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. As I say, I love coaching, and, and the journey uh, for me was a long one and a, sometimes a frustrating one. You had to go backwards to go forward, but um, you know, it's, it's been a really rewarding and an enjoyable one as well. Are there any players whose names you could throw at me who you've coached in your time and thought, man, you'd make a really good coach one day um, and if they decided to go into coaching eventually that you'd back them to succeed? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, mate. It's, um, it's uh, you know, guys like Corey Parker and Justin Hodges are both, you know, keen on their coaching, I think. Um, the biggest thing these days when players retire, it's it's a commitment to, you know, you, you've got to invest in yourself to build a coaching career most of the time. The days are gone from, you know, the you know the Laurie Daly, and, you know, uh, Brad Fittler, Mel Meninga, they went to Wally Lewis, 
your 80 hours a week for, um, you know, in a, in a, in a lower level or, or a basic assistance role uh, of football, you know, to get that education. So, uh, yeah, but with those two guys, I, I think they've got the ability to, to do that. They're both good leaders and they're both, uh, have a, you know, a passion to coach. I think, you know, probably James Maloney at Penrith, he's probably the one of the smartest players. He thought like a coach even when he was playing. If he ever wanted to apply himself, I think he'd make a he'd make a really good coach. Um, he's extremely um, good leader and, and a really uh, smart football brain. But also, as I said before, he, he thought like a coach, uh, which made him such a, a valuable uh, player in those days. And probably the reason why wherever he's gone, you know, the teams have had success. Um, and right where I am now, I think you know, Ben Hunt, um, if he wanted to apply himself when he finishes, he's developed into a great leader. And again, when you talk to Ben these days, he feels like not just a player, but part of the staff. He's got to that level in his career where he gets the whole way the club operates and the way a football game, uh, you know, is won and lost outside of his own performance. So he's probably someone, if you if want to go down that path, Look, last year Cam Smith retired. You can make a case he's the greatest player to ever play, but his story very much starts with you as a part of it. Can you tell me how you first met Cam? Uh, yeah, look, Cam's an exceptional talent. He always was, but, the, uh, you know, uh, the story's been told before, but uh, I was working for Melbourne Storm at the time, coaching. Uh, their 20s in, at Brisbane North, uh, which was their affiliate club, and, and I did the recruitment uh, along with another guy called Theo Burgess throughout Queensland and Australia. And, uh, we trucked uh, Cam uh, playing for the uh, Logan Brothers under 16s and checked uh, uh, his, his dad actually, you know, he gave us a little bit of a hand with recruitment. and um, So it was funny. Uh, you know, uh, we went and saw his son play and Mark Murray was uh, Brisbane North's first grade coach then and also working for the Storm. Myself and him went up to watch him play in Rockhampton in the under-17s, um, Queensland, uh, Carnival. And uh, as I said before, he, he stood out for the same reasons he stands out when he was 33 back when he was 17. He just had a lot of time. With the ball, he, he, he was really... Um, technically correct out of dummy half. The game uh, was controlled by him. He, he just, you could see the class in him. And, um, he, uh, he was probably a little bit too good for the players he was playing with at the time. Uh, uh, so uh, we were lucky enough that year to be able to sign him. Uh, for the Melbourne Storm, he was down on the Queensland 17s to another book that they, uh, they picked out of that carnival. But um, it certainly didn't uh, what was he like to coach against? Terrible. <laughs> yeah, he was, <laughs> he's one of those guys like Thurston or, you know, all those guys you spend all week working out how to try and stop him and you think it'd be easy with... He's not the biggest guy and he's not the quickest guy and he's not the strongest guy. And he picks the ball up from dummy half, so you think with your markers and tight defence, um, you know, you'd be able to control him or minimise his effect on the game, but that's what made him so great. He, uh, he was 
very good leader and a, and a brilliant football brain and also nurse steel. So you could just feel him, in a way, sitting on you or just waiting for his chance the whole game, building pressure, and you, you might do a good job on him for a set or two, but uh, eventually, inevitably, when he was at his best, he, he always had an influence on you know on the victory or the way the score uh, beat you. It's very hard to contain, and, and that's what made him so good because you. You know, uh, you just couldn't uh, take him out of the game or you couldn't nullify, nullify his influence. And, and also, he was unique. Um, in that, in those days, the Storm, at Hooker, he was their main playmaker. Normally, you'd have to concentrate on, you know, halves like Thurston or Maloney or those type of guys. Um, but when you played Melbourne, it always came right from the blow, picking the ball up all the time and cronking and Slater pulled off the back of that a lot of times. Um, so uh, very hard to play against. And, and uh, it was impossible to, you know, to nullify his, his presence there at coming half. I'd like to ask you about the role of centres in the game. Now, if we go back about 10, 15 years ago, if your name wasn't Greg Inglis, then 90% of centres wouldn't exactly be household names. And as, as far as the specific value of a position goes, it wouldn't be in the photo finish uh, let's put it that way as far as value goes. Now, with the with the new rules opening up the game, I, I think centres have never been more valuable than what they are now. And you've seen that with a couple of deals happen recently with some guys. Um, uh, you, you've got a couple of handy ones at your club. Uh, how do you look at that position now compared to maybe about 10 years ago? Yeah, well, the game's different now. Um, like, going back... 20 years ago, they used to both play on the same side. Yeah. You know, you'd, uh, you'd have both the centres on one side of the field. And, yeah, uh, but, you know, that, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen a bit more now these days. I mean, Bradford had, had it happen last year where we gave Trevojevic a raving um, commission and he bobbed up, you know, all across the park. Um, I think uh, it's funny that sometimes time it just depends on... on the quality of the, of the players at the time too. You'll go through a period where you know there, there's not many good centres around, but, but then um, you know for a period like I think now coming up, you know we've got Lomax and Surly and um, you know Mitchell can play centres, and as I said, Tom Trevojevic at rep, rep level plays there, so you're starting to see you know Katoni Stags, uh, those type of guys, some some big athletic centres coming back into the game, Bradman Best. Um, at, at, uh, up at the Knights. Uh, so there is a couple of them coming back into the game. But I, I think with the extra run speed, uh, also it, it's, it's, it's easy to get them early ball and, and get them a little bit more space now as well. And if you've got someone that's you know, 100 kilos and really good on their feet, um, you know, that's the most important thing is to get your bigger athletes out of the ball as much as you can. So um, I'm not too sure... To be honest, if the game's changed that much, or it's just now we're starting to see some, you know, some bigger elite guys in, in those positions come through. Like ten years ago, you had Gazney and Cooper at this club, and you know they were both, you know, big men, big rep centres, and you know they were playing against Todgers and Inglis and those type of guys, as you say. But they they went away for a while, but there's a crop coming coming through, and. Um, yeah, hopefully from our end, uh, you know, which is why we, we put a lot of um, 
we can roll forward with a little bit more um, precision, you know, those type of guys we spoke about um, we'll be able to get the ball to. The decision to go after Suley uh, to bring into the club, was that was that more of a um, decision on wanting to move Jack Bird to the forwards so you had a vacancy there? Or was it, we've got Moses, so now we'll move Jack? Yeah, it's probably that way. And again, the beauty of Jack Bird is, uh, you know, Jack can play anywhere, you know. Um, he can play back row, uh, five eight, and he's played those positions for us, the centre fullback. So, um, well, so uh, and he's, he's a, um, elite talent, Jack Bird. So, you know, if you play in the centres, um, yeah, he'd do a job for you there, but the fact is he's, he's such a valuable player for us, um, you know, anywhere we use him. And uh, now that he's, he's 100% fit, we can we can use him in a different spot. We tried to care for him and nurse him through having him in the centre, so he, he didn't get as much football, and he's looking for more football now too. So that was the first, I suppose, issue. The second one was, you know, Centre like Moses Suley, as I said, 108 kilos and, and extremely talented, um, comes on the market. Um, we did a lot of research on him, um, and he, he has had some issues in the past, obviously, at a couple of clubs, but um, we've got some very good reports about his personality and his character, and uh, so, you know, we thought he'd be a great addition for us, and uh, he's still very young, he's 23, and um, he's got a lot of, you know, maturity in front of him. So they're really hard to find, uh, as you mentioned before, with your previous previous question over the years. Um, you know, really, you know, athletic, good strike centres. And the few times he got a game with Manly last year, he was outstanding. Uh, so you know, but obviously he contributed to the fact that you know he probably wasn't making their starting side most of the year. With, um, you know, with, with his with his own bad habits, nothing that can't be fixed. But um, uh, there are things that we've we've backed ourselves that we'll be able to help him improve. And, and um, you know, brought in a, a centre that uh, gives us, as you said, Lomax on the right hand side and, and Sully on the left hand side. And we can use Bird closer to the ball now. Hook, after you and the Panthers parted ways, you took a bit of a break and you went and did some commentary, which was great, by the way. And and was taking a bit of time off before coming straight back into head coaching beneficial for you in hindsight or would you like to have just gotten straight back in? Well, you don't have that choice yeah. most of the time, Tom. I've been in that position twice now and uh, uh, the, the biggest, uh, I suppose, question you ask yourself is, do, you know, do you still have the passion and the fire in your belly? And I knew I did, you know, really quickly had a short holiday and then I wanted to coach again so um, but in the meantime you, you've got to use the time wisely you've got to grow and, and learn so the first thing I did was um, uh, got a uh, uh, opportunity to commentate at 2GB which was fantastic and that gave me an opportunity to, you know, to still analyse the game and watch you know, all the teams over over the weekend and I went out into the corporate world and, and did some um, uh, some corporate mentoring or coaching and, and picked up a, uh, a 
fair bit of work with some great companies um, and government agencies uh, from Melbourne up to Cairns, and um, that gave me an opportunity to coach in a, in a way that I hadn't coached before and get out of my comfort zone, but still develop and you know, learn about leadership and, and management and, and helping uh, people, you know, on to, uh, sorry, fulfil their potential. And um, um, but always knew that I wanted to coach again and always searching for the next opportunity. But um, I used my time wisely, and um, uh, you know, whether I wanted to coach before the, the St George opportunity came up, you know, is, is irrelevant. It's, it's a matter of you know, just staying present and do what you need to do to, you know, to get, you know, to get, you know, that feeling that you're out there developing and growing until your next opportunity comes up. Was there something that you learnt while you were out of the game, either the first time or the second time, that you you looked to bring into your to your next opportunity? Was there was there something there, uh, or, or is it all just a, a growing experience in itself, really? Oh, well, you're learning all the time. I mean, I learn every day. Um, but you need to put yourself into that position. That's probably what I learned the most. Is as you get, I won't say older. As you get more experienced, you, um, you, you, your personality is your personality, and you coach, I suppose, to a, a style or, or a strength that you've always had. But you also need to learn and. and you also have to grow with the job and with the with the changing in in your in your industry and society. You know, young men are totally different now to what they were 20 years ago when I first started coaching. And, um, but you still got to be yourself. So I've been really happy that I've been able to develop and evolve over you know the last you know 10 years since I've been in the NRL at least. And, um, uh, and the time you have out. Uh, gives you an opportunity to do that, as I said before. But uh, you certainly have to have to drop your ego and uh, allow yourself to, to learn. And, um, and you know that's that's part of the message you need to send through to your players as well to get the best out of them. But it's been a good journey so far, and I'm I'm really enjoying you know every day that you get an opportunity to work in the industry and learn a little bit more about coaching and leadership. Well, Hook, that's it from myself. I can't thank you enough for coming on the 6 to Go podcast today. It was a lot of fun. Uh, all the best for this year, and hopefully we can talk again soon. No worries, Tom. A massive thanks to Anthony for coming on the show today. He's in the middle of pre-season at the moment, so to take some time out from that to have a chat, I'm very appreciative. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at TCanfell. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 60 Go Podcast and that is full time.